Thank you, team, so much for leading us. And if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 6 is where we are going to be this morning and starting in 8. And uh, we won't cover every verse, but we're going to walk through chapter 7 and land in the first few verses of chapter 8 this morning. Uh, and um, don't know if, if, uh, if you can relate, but I love water. I love everything about the water. Uh, I love to play in the water. I love to swim in the water. Um, unless it is a triathlon, like I mentioned a few weeks ago. But other than that, I love to swim in the water. Um, I love to fish on the water. I love to throw rocks across the water. And, and even still, uh, I feel like I'm a big kid in a lot of ways. Like if there's something big around water, I just want to pick it up and I want to throw it in. Because I want to see the splash. I want to see the ripple. I want to see, you know, uh, how big the, the impact can be. And so in some ways, you know, whether it's a little rock or a big stone or a big log, whatever it is, the same is true. It always leaves a ripple and it always makes an impact. No matter the shape, size, or, uh, or force even that's used. And so in a lot of ways as I think about that, I think about our lives. The reality is, is that every single one of us, from the youngest heart to the oldest heart. In the room, online, every person breathing has a pulse. Your life currently is making an impact. Your life is, has a ripple effect, if you will. And sometimes I think we realize that, maybe more so than others. But the reality is, is that your life is making a ripple effect. And one of the encouragements that we'll see through this text is what is our ripple? What is the impact? What is the legacy? Because the reality is the legacy and the, 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 what we hope would, we would be known for at, 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 you know, at the end of our time, those decisions and that legacy is being made like today. As young as you are, you think about who... God wants you to be who you're going to become. It starts today, wherever we're at. And so today we have the blessing to see and read about a, uh, just a regular guy. A regular guy whose name was Stephen. Regular in the sense that he probably, I don't know, they wore a robe. I was going to say put on his pants just like you and me, but put on his robe. If we were wearing a robe, I guess the same way, like, like a normal guy. But. He was full of grace. He was full of the Spirit. He loved Jesus. And it's amazing the impact that his life had, the kingdom ripple that we feel today even as the local church. And so what we want to see is we want to look at what's really the final hours of this great follower of Christ, this lover of Christ named Stephen. He had a deep, abiding, and meaningful, weighty walk with the Lord. We were introduced with him earlier in Acts 6. The early church were having some challenges because they were growing so fast. And some of the Hellenistic, Messianic Jews, the widows there, were being neglected in the food distribution. So they gathered everybody together and they said... Listen, we want you to choose seven men, but they need to be of good reputation and full of the Spirit. And one of the men they chose was Stephen. 
And as we see in the early church from Acts 2 to Acts 6, where we're at today, persecution on the early church is just ratcheting up almost with each passing chapter that we walk through. Because in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching, he's full of the Spirit, day of Pentecost, preaching the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. He is sharing the gospel with great power. And the Bible says that in Acts 2 that there were mockers. So in other words, there were people making fun of him. They said he must be drunk. And then if you go on a little bit further, what you see in Acts chapter 4 is it changes from mocking to intimidation. So at this time now, they have arrested Peter and John and they are they are they are basically trying to impose their will on them to make them stop talking about Jesus. And so they're trying to intimidate them. And then by Acts chapter 5, you see that now the apostles have been arrested and gathered and they're not mocking them. They're not intimidating them. They are physically beating them. They are flogging them. All in an effort to make them stop talking about Jesus. And now persecution, we're going to read, is taking another notch. It's ratcheting up. And so it's not mocking. It's not intimidation. It's not even physical beating. It is murder. We are going to read about Stephen, who was the first martyr of the Christian faith. And what we see is that there is always opposition to the gospel. There's always opposition to King Jesus. And when this opposition comes, though persecution was designed to silence the gospel, the reality is, is that when persecution comes and the truth of the gospel gets pushed further out, it's like fuel on the fire. And so what we see here in, in this gospel or in the book of Acts, I, I want to just make mention of, of of Acts chapter 8, verse 1. But here's what it says. It says, on the day that we're going to read about, it says that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout regions of Judea and Samaria. In other words, the persecution is spreading the gospel further out. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, almost lays the outline for the book out. It says, you're going to receive power and be my witnesses, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so the first seven chapters of Acts is the gospel there in Jerusalem. And now we are seeing as we head into chapter 8, this gospel is moving outside and it's moving into Judea and Samaria. And so the question may come, how, how did or what was it about Stephen's relationship with the Lord that he could withstand such opposition and in the face of such opposition show such courage and such boldness to which I would say I believe the difference is all in his devotion and we're going to talk through that devotion makes the difference our impact for the kingdom will be directly proportionate to our devotion. That whatever fills our heart, whatever it is, is going to direct our lives. If you think about it, think about whatever it is that you fill your heart with, it's going to direct your life. And it's devotion, 
not our intention, but our devotion that determines the legacy that we will leave. And for Stephen, his devotion was to the Lord. You can take it back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and you can see what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were directed to the fellowship and to the prayers. This is what connected, this is what they were devoted to in their lives. And it was out of that private devotional life that spilled over into his normal everyday life. And so as we look at this passage, we see that opposition is real. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 6, the Bible says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So just a couple observations about Stephen's life that we see he was full of grace and power. If you think about grace in the context of giving what others maybe don't deserve, or if we think about it even in the context of our life, us receiving what we don't deserve or don't earn. This was his life. That it was a life that was, no matter how you treated him or what you did to him, he was going to extend grace toward you. He was full of grace and he was full of power. The Bible says there in verse 8 that he was doing great wonders and signs. The Holy Spirit empowered him. Great signs and wonders all affirming the gospel truth that King Jesus is Messiah. And so you can imagine he's in and out of the synagogues. This is what they were doing. Teaching, preaching Jesus. And these guys had had enough. But one of the things, and I love this about that we see about him, is that he was full of faith and full of the Spirit. And, and so it's important for us to understand the New Testament teaches us that when you repent of your sin to place your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, that He gives you His Holy Spirit. That His Holy Spirit indwells you and empowers you. That, that when we talk about being full of the Spirit, what we are not talking about is some kind of additional blessing or, or second wave of blessing. No, when you're saved, God gives you His presence, His Spirit. But I think all of us can can probably share that as a believer, there have been times in our lives where we know the Lord is calling us to whether it's to make a decision or take a step of action or take a bold step in faith, and yet we, we didn't follow through. But rather to be full of the Spirit is to be in, under the control of the Spirit. In other words, you are living a life completely yielded to everything God is calling you to do. And this was Stephen. This was his life. He was full of faith. He was full of the Spirit. But as I mentioned, whatever you're filled with controls you. Whatever you're filled with directs your life. If you're filled with anger, your life is going to be marked by rage, frustration, relational pain. If you're filled with jealousy, your life is probably going to be marked with a lack of satisfaction. Always wanting more. And there's never enough, which we as believers in the Lord Jesus understand and realize that there is no satisfaction apart from a relationship with Jesus. He's the only way to have rest in your soul 
and satisfaction. If you're filled with selfishness and pride, your life is probably going to mark by a lack of fulfillment. You're going to maybe live a very lonely life and pride always precedes the fall. But to be full of the Spirit is, is, is to be full of the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. Galatians 5, there's a little song, maybe you learned it growing up, but it's the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That this is, this is what we are not, this is what the Spirit is. And so the Spirit of God, as we live yielded to God, this is the fruit of our lives. This is the ripple, the kingdom ripple of our lives as we live yielded to the Lord Jesus. And so it's important to remember too that as we walk through Acts, remember who's writing Acts. Dr. Luke wrote Acts. And so Acts is a second volume of a two-volume work that Dr. Luke wrote. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And I just wonder if there weren't times as Luke is writing this, this, this account in the book of Acts that there wouldn't be times that he would kind of think back to some of those writings in his gospel and kind of make those connections. And remember that, that, that Stephen and the, the early church were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So I wonder how many times that that, that that teaching of Jesus, they would cling to their hearts. In Luke chapter 21, verse 12, I wonder, I want to share these words. This is the words of Jesus. And I wonder possibly if Dr. Luke is remembering this as he's talking about Stephen or perhaps even Stephen with the opposition that he's about to experience and walk through. If this, this, this truth, this teaching of Jesus could have been ringing through his ears. But it says this in Luke 21 verse 12. It says, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. That this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. But you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. I just wonder, could it be that Stephen would have been meditating on this teaching of Jesus? As we just read about that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit that he was preaching. And so opposition is real. It's good for us to, rem to remember, to remind ourselves that our war is not against flesh and blood. Oftentimes it's tempting to want us to think of the war there, but the war is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. In verse 11 of Acts 6, we see the religious opposition rising up. It says that they secretly investigated men. This is, this is heartbreaking. Dark things happen in dark places. They secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. 
And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. Talking about the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In the dark places, the smear campaign against Stephen was in full effect. The smear campaign, they're, they're creating lies and they are choosing, I believe with every ounce of intentionality that's out there, they're like, how are we going to rile the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people up against this brother? I know, let's talk about the temple and about the law. And so this is what they did. They created a... A, a drama and, a, and, and, a, and an opposition in these areas that to the Jewish people were precious to them. And so that's what they did. Stephen is going to share with them in the text that's to come how Christ is the fulfillment of the temple. And not only how He is the fulfillment of the temple, but He is the fulfillment of the law as well. But it's important for us as we begin to walk through this again that we know as believers that opposition is real. That we must be ready to be excluded. That we must be ready to be mocked. That we must be ready to be misrepresented at times. That we must be prepared to be shamed. That we would be ready potentially even to give our lives for the gospel. And so the high priest Caiaphas in chapter 7 verse 1 he says, the high priest says, are these things so? Are these things so? And so here is Stephen. And, and he's, he's being questioned now with the council again. And what Stephen is going to do is he's going to walk through the redemptive history of God's people. And I, I wonder too, again, this is one of those Luke passages. Luke is writing Acts and Luke is writing, the, he's written the gospel of Luke. And I just think back to Luke 24, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible tells us a story about how there were these disciples that were on their road to Emmaus, and they're walking there, leaving Jerusalem, and the resurrected Jesus comes alongside them in Luke 24, 17. He says to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, and then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. And verse 25 says, and he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You think about that, the Bible of Jesus was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament points to Jesus. He's the fulfillment. The Bible goes on to say their spiritual eyes were opened. And they're like, did not our hearts burn within us as he told us about 
the Scriptures. And so the Caiaphas high priest says, are these things, tell me about these things. And then Stephen goes into full-on gospel presentation, but he's going to take them back to the beginning. He's going to take them back to the beginning. And here's what he says in Acts 7-2. He says, Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there. And listen to this, into this land in which you are now living. They're talking about the promised land. They're there. They're like, this is the promise fulfilled right here before our lives. And Stephen is going to give them a lesson in redemptive history. A lesson in redemptive history. So if it's okay, I'm going to summarize what is happening in this chapter. Because he goes through a lot of detail. And he talks about, and he's reminding them of how God made a covenant with Abraham. It all began with Abraham and how that covenant promise passed on from father Abraham to his son Isaac. And how that covenant promise continued from Isaac to Jacob. Isaac had two boys. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Jacob would later have a name change to Israel. And Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, had 12 sons. And it was in his family that the brothers got a little wild. And they turned against Joseph. They turned their hearts against him. And so they come up with this plan. Imagine, some of you have brothers and sisters. They had this plan. We were going to sell our brother to Egypt. I mean, and, and they, sell, they sell him as a slave to this caravan that's traveling through. And if you know the story, and this is an incredible story, Joseph, by God's grace and provision and, and providence, he, he kind of endures trial and jail time and and everything else, but ultimately he is placed as the prime minister of Egypt, essentially. And then not only that, but Jacob, a.k.a. Israel and his boys, there's a great famine in the land, and so they come down to Egypt and then set up shop in Egypt. And, and, and as the story goes, a new Pharaoh came into leadership who did not recognize Joseph nor the people of Israel, and the tables turned in such that they enslaved them. And for centuries, they enslaved them. And that their cry was to God to rescue them. Rescue them. And in God's timing and sovereignty, He rose up a leader named Moses, who He would send back down to Egypt. And Moses led God's people out of captivity. And so Stephen is going to take them on this journey in chapter 7, through the Exodus. And he would share how their fathers actually murmured and turned against Abraham, or excuse me, against Moses, as Moses is God's spokesperson trying to lead them. And then not only that, the story continues about how they they turned against the prophets of God. They were all pointing to the righteous one, but they would have them killed. They focused so much on the temple. The temple was 
God allowed Solomon to build. And this temple would be a sign to the world that God was with his people. And he would manifest his presence in that temple. But the reality is, is, and Isaiah said it, and he quotes it in chapter 7, verse 48. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. You can't contain God. You can't contain God. And the glory of God had long departed the temple before what we're reading about right here. So they were so focused. So Stephen is helping them understand. Listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. God with his people. And John chapter 1, I love those opening scriptures about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it talks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt means tabernacle. Interchangeable with this traveling temple idea. He is the presence of God with His people. And so in verse 5 of, I'm sorry, verse 51 of chapter 7. Here's what Stephen says. He shares this history of redemption. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart, ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. What happened back then, what we just kind of walked through, that's happening right now. It's happening right now. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Talking about Christ. And you who received this law and as delivered by angels and did not keep. So, so this opposition is real, but just a couple observations we see is their hearts were set on evil they're meeting in secret they're they're devising a plan they're setting up false witnesses they they are set on evil and in the midst of it they completely miss the point they completely miss the point their hearts so hard their hearts so cold they don't they're not open to the gospel to which I would encourage us all today. That for whatever reason, there is this thought where like, I know, I know God, I know you're calling me into a relationship. I know you're calling this. I just, you know, just wait, going to push it off, push it off, push it off. My encouragement is don't harden your hearts to the Lord. Don't harden your hearts to the gospel. They miss the whole thing. They're making it about a building when it's about God. They're making it about law when it's about Christ. The person of Christ. Relationship with Christ. They're twisting the truth. They're blind to their own sin. As we'll see in just a moment. And they refuse to listen. May we not harden our heart. Or turn an ear. Against the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading. In our lives. Verse 54 says. Now when they heard these things. They were enraged. They were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I mentioned that, that they had 
they're so passionate about the law, but yet they completely override the law because it satisfied their anger and their frustration. There was rule in the land that no Jews had authority to carry out the death penalty. But what do they do? They take him out the city. And in their rage and in their sin, they had him stoned to death. The law didn't matter to them. The Bible goes on to say in verse 58 that the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And just a few weeks ahead, we're going to be introduced to the radical transformation of this guy named Saul to a missionary named Paul. But we see he's here. They're taking off their garments. Why? Literally, they want to throw stronger and harder and angrier. That this stoning literally was to death. And so he says, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I love that picture of entering into our eternal rest. As going to sleep and waking up in the presence of the Lord. But in Stephen, did you hear it? So much of his story was like Christ. If you look in the Bible, you probably won't find somebody as much like Jesus as you will find in Stephen. That when he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against him as he is being tortured. If we remember the words of Jesus as he's being persecuted... On the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ-likeness marked his life and his ministry. And so this is a great reminder that if you ever find your way losing bearings of why God has created you, or what his purpose is for your life, is Romans 8, 28, 29, that we are to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Christ's likeness is what Stephen embodied. And as believers, by His grace and the power of His Spirit, this is who we want to become more and more like our Heavenly Father. Stephen was empowered like Christ. He spoke with wisdom like Christ. He endured persecution and false trial like Christ. He preached the Old Testament like Christ. He suffered like Christ. Christ. He was murdered like Christ. And even to his last breath, he is like Christ, extending God's grace to those who were literally trying to take his life. Only people who really get the forgiveness of Jesus at a deep level can offer such grace. It is when we understand just the level of grace that God has poured out on us, that we, by His grace, are able to share that same grace with others. In chapter 8, verse 1, wrapping up here, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The gospel's going out. 
except for the apostles. The apostles stayed there in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Persecution spreads the gospel. This is what we see. And so even as we are looking at this text and applying this text to our lives, there are a couple, a couple ways that we can, we can apply this truth to our lives. But one, I, I would say, and I, I want to keep this in front of us, uh, and we need to keep it in front of our hearts, but it's to pray for the persecuted church. That as we gather in great freedom, we gather in great freedom, brothers and sisters gather underground, they gather in secret, because if they are discovered, they will be persecuted. The statistic currently is that by the time we lay our head down at night on our pillow, that in the course of a 24-hour period, there will be eight Christians who will be martyred for their faith. That they will lose their lives because they take a stand for the gospel. Eight people. And this is just what we know. We have places like North Korea, places like Afghanistan, places like Nigeria and Libya. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know what's going on in those areas, but we know as believers are there that they are risking literally their lives for the glory of God and for the mission of God. Just yesterday, I read an article and it, was, it had gotten online and was kind of circulating, but it was an, of an Egyptian Christian his name was Nabil Habashi Salamah, but he was an Egyptian Christian, kidnapped, targeted to renounce his faith. And his son made the statement in the article that he refused to renounce Christ. The, the statement was, as they broke his teeth. This happened yesterday. That, that there, is a, there is a persecuted church that needs the prayers of the family. Of faith, And so we intercede and we pray for the persecuted church. And then also we see in Stephen's life what made the difference. How does a brother stand in front of a council? How does he extend grace as he's taking his last breath? How does he courageously share the gospel of Jesus? You can take it all back to his private devotion. That's where you can find it. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. This is what he devoted himself, and it was out of that overflow, that this courage and this boldness, this is what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness and courage, and God gave it to them. And so as I read this, this is almost, almost like a line in the sand kind of challenge that we read, because it's like, do you want to live the Christ-like life? Do you want to live a life full of faith? Do you want to live full of the Spirit? Do you want to share boldly? Do you want to be known as a person of grace? Do you want to leave a kingdom? Not just leave, but do you want to make a kingdom ripple in your life? Do you want to make a kingdom legacy? Then it all connects back to our devotion and care for our first love. A relationship with the Lord. Devotion today is what determines our legacy tomorrow. Devotion today is what determines our legacy for 
tomorrow. And so perhaps for the believers in the room, perhaps the Holy Spirit might reveal an area of our lives that is hindering our devotion. He's worthy, we know that. He's rescued us, we know that. But yet our devotion can somehow get lost along the way. It's the difference of living life as a believer with the Spirit and living life as a believer full of the Spirit. It's connected to that devotion. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is, Holy Spirit, is there anything in our lives that is hindering our devotion to you? Because He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. And then I love just the gospel is moving. God is sovereign over persecution. You see, far from God, people are coming to Christ. Paul, Saul will become Paul. And, and, and so just there's no one that's outside of the, the grace of God's reach. I mean, and that's encouraging. And so we never stop praying for those who are apart from Christ. But the gospel moved out of Jerusalem and now it's headed to Judea. Now it's headed to Samaria. Then it's going to head out through the Roman Empire. And, and in the matter of time, guess where it's going to make its way? Right here. And it's come to us. And it's come to us because it's on its way to somebody else. And so this good news has come to you. And so today the encouragement is, is that would you, by God's grace, that you would just be receptive to this good news. The fact that God made a way where there was no way for us to be forgiven. For us to be rescued. For us to be made right with God. And that we live on mission today and that we spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the lord i encourage you there is no better day than today don't put it off till later don't say maybe next time don't harden your heart god's gospel has come to you today let's pray heavenly father thank you for your love and thank you for your grace Thank you for your care. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of Stephen, who I'm so encouraged by and, and so challenged by. But yet the reality is he was just a guy. Just a faithful, full of faith, full of the Spirit, devoted brother. And for centuries, the church has been made up of godly men and godly women who have devoted themselves to the glory of God and the mission of God. And yet in the face of opposition, in grace and truth, continue to share the only hope that we have, and that is the hope of Jesus. So God, we lift up the persecuted church. We lift up our brothers and sisters who gather in secret, gather underground. We pray for the families of those who today will likely lose someone they love because of their commitment and love to Jesus and the gospel. We pray for courage. We pray for boldness. We pray for comfort. God, we pray for this faith family, God. At times it's hard to relate to that level of persecution, but we understand that we're in a spiritual battle. We understand that there will be suffering. We understand that there will be opposition. So Father God, I pray that we will 
we will treasure our time with you. That we will remove the hindrances that have gotten in the way. And we will saturate our hearts with your teaching, with your word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive. God, that it's through your scripture, God, breathe that we are equipped for everything. God, we pray, God, that we will saturate our hearts with your word. I pray, God, that we would dedicate ourselves to the fellowship. God, it's not just our witness, but our witness of the family of faith that we, we, we serve together. We're together. No Lone Rangers, not allowed. Father, I pray, Father, for our worship, God, that you will be honored in it. And Father, for the prayers, God, let us not go so fast that we don't spend time in prayer. This gift of communion with you. So God, may we live devoted. We know it's what makes the difference. And God, I pray again for anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I pray for anyone listening in online, the Father, that they will sense and know your great love for them. And that our sin has separated us from you. You're holy and perfect. And there was nothing man could do to fix it. So you fixed it. You made a way. And you made a way by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, living a life we could never live, a perfect life, dying a death we should have died, being crucified on the cross for our sin, to make payment for our sin. And that, Father, they placed your body in a tomb, and on the third day, you rose from the dead, giving victory over death, hell, and the grave. So, Father, today, if there's anyone who needs to own their sin, admit their sin, repent of their sin, have a change of mind, and turn to you and surrender to you as Lord God, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we pray that you would work. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.